O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all of the faithfulness which you have shown your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, come on, you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, we know you're moving in this place. We ask that your word would sink deep into our hearts and that you would speak to us tonight. We're so thankful that we serve a God who's continually on our side, who we can trust again and again and again. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Come on, say it with me. Amen and amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. A couple weeks ago, I lost my debit card. If you know me, you know losing things isn't uncommon. I'm always losing things. My keys, my, my children, I lose them. Lose them in department stores, lose them in my house. I have a lot of anxiety, and I know that my kids are in my house, but because I don't see them, I feel like I've lost them. And my heart starts pacing and going crazy because I know that I'm really bad at this one thing, I lose things. I lost my debit card. I ordered a debit card, though, John, because they let you do that, a replacement card. And they told me it would take five to seven business days. I said, all right, five to seven days I can deal with cash. I can deal with figuring out how much money I need as I go to the store. I can deal with paying for things not at the pump, but actually seeing the cashier. Any one of y'all, when y'all go to the gas station and you try to do your card and it says, see cashier, you just leave. <laughs> I just leave. I ain't trying to go inside. I'm going to just go and find another station. Something's wrong with you, Exxon. I don't know. I avoid a specific gas station, because I know it's going to always tell me, see cashier. I don't want to see nobody. COVID messed me up. I started to get into the rhythm of understanding how much cash I needed every time I was entering into a store. I just knew, okay, this is how much this is going to cost. This is how much that's going to cost. I'm going to take cash. Y'all, it took them almost a month to get me a card. I called, I complained, I sent emails, and I kept sitting on hold with my bank. I won't name them. I'll give you their initials. Chase Bank. <laughs> they would send me to all kinds of different countries to tell me that my card was in the mail. I know it's in the mail. It just hasn't arrived. Something's wrong. Issue me a new one. 
so we can't issue you a new one. It's going to take another five to seven days if we do that. Be patient, they say. Well, I'm going to be patient. Never ask God for patience because then he's, give you, he's going to give you reasons to have to practice patience. And I waited a full month, and I started to get really anxious because I felt like maybe I lost my card or something happened. But this week, I finally got pushed to make that call, to demand a next day air card. I'm going to tell you why. I went to Kroger. Love Kroger. Here's, here's what I don't like. They want you to do the work for them now. Self-checkout lines are the most popular thing now. You got to do I didn't know that I was supposed to be the one scanning everything. I don't know if it's a yellow onion or a sweet onion. I don't know. It's been difficult. It's, it gives me anxiety. And it's even more anxiety for me when I go to the store because I know that when I go to the store, I'm going to grab things I shouldn't grab. I'm going to grab different foods, different things, especially if I'm hungry. I'm just going to fill up my cart. Never go shopping when you're hungry. You wind up filling your cart up with things you just don't need. Long story short, I get to the end. I see the price. I know I have exactly the amount of money I need. So I start putting in the cash. I put in the cash. It says you need $2 to finish the transaction. As soon as I try to put in this crumply old dollar, it spits it out. I put it back in. Spits it right. It doesn't want my money. I don't know what's going on, but it didn't want my money at the time. And I got really frustrated. And I kept trying to put this broken down dollar into this machine. And it causes the machine to malfunction. So much so that I called the person working the self-checkout line. I said, hey, something's wrong. This, this thing is not working. She goes, all right, I'll check on my computer she goes, okay, why are you trying to put a dollar when you owe $60? I said, no, no, no. I know I don't owe $60. I've put $60 in. All I owe now is about $2. She goes, no, no, no. The machine says you owe $60. I said, well, just because the machine says I owe $60, it doesn't mean that I, I know that I put, she goes, no, you, you don't have enough money for your purchase. And she immediately goes, to my bags and grabs them. And I'm like, wait, wait. Now listen, I got saved a long time ago. But at this point, I'm like, what do I do? Do I go back to Ralph from Greens Point? Or do I make sure that they know that I believe in Jesus? I said, hey, ma'am, listen, obviously there's an issue here. I've put in $60 and it's all I owe you is $2 more. She goes, no, you don't have enough for this purchase. I said, okay. I need to talk to your manager. Manager comes by. Manager goes into the computer. Manager says, listen, we need $60. I said, I'm telling you, I, I put in $60. All I owe is two. She said, well, we can't really confirm that because the computer says you have not put in enough money. You have $0 placed in there. I said, now listen. This is why I go to HEB. I just want to tell y'all right now, this is why I go to HEB, because this would not happen at, a, at, at Jose Altuve's store. I just know I wouldn't. I said, listen, there's a camera right above me. Can you check the camera to see how much? She goes, no, the camera's broken. 
I said, ma'am, what's going to happen here? Because I know I put in $60. She said, well, either you can go get $60 more or you can put things back. I said, listen, I know that there's a way for y'all to open up these machines because you have to get the cash out. She goes, yeah, we can open it up. I promise you, if you open up that machine, you're going to see two 20s and two 10s in this order, a 10, a 10, and two 20s. She goes, well, we don't want to do that. I said, no, you're going to have to do that because I know. I put, sir, the machine is telling us you don't have enough for this purchase. This happens all the time. People come in and they say they put in money when they really didn't. Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't know I looked that ghetto. I said, ma'am, I would really appreciate it if you would open up this machine and you will find these bills right there. I waited 30 minutes for them to open up that machine and for them to open it up and to then realize that I did put in $60. They took my $2, and I got all my food, and I went on my happy little way. Why do I tell you this story? I'll tell you why. Because at that moment, they kept telling me that I didn't have enough. That I didn't have enough, and because I didn't have enough, I could not receive what was there to be taken. And although that's funny, and it kind of makes us laugh a little bit, I think that you have experienced that in your life, but not at Kroger or HEB, but by other people who have told you that you aren't enough, that you haven't done enough. And I will even say you've probably attended some churches that will tell you that the things that you do in life aren't enough and that you need to get better, that you need to improve, that you got to fix things in your life or else you can't receive what Jesus has for you. When I was young, I was afraid of that day when I had to stand in front of Jesus and see if I had done enough. And if you have ever been frustrated with your own self because you feel like you don't amount up to the thing that God wants or that you have gotten to a place in your life where you have not done enough, to find a place in God's kingdom. I think this scripture has something beautiful for you and me. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 32, verse 1, it says, Now Jacob went on his way. We've been talking about Jacob. We're in our series, The Promise Then. What is it like to pursue God's promises? Because God has promises for his people, and he wants us to pursue them here on this earth. And yet, Jacob is next in line after Abraham, after Isaac. It's now his turn to enter the promised land and to set up residence there for the future. He is the child of Isaac. He is preparing to enter the land that was promised to him. But the issue is the last time we saw Jacob was Genesis chapter 29. And in Genesis chapter 29, Jacob was looking for a wife because his father told him, you can't fulfill the promise that God has for you, which means having children until you find a wife. So you need to go and find a wife. So we learned last week that Jacob, he traveled over 37 days on foot 
so that he could find a wife. And we learned last week that Jacob, in this pursuit of finding a wife, we see who Jacob really is in this moment when he's trying to win Rachel's heart. He, he puts on a mask. He fakes it. The Bible tells us in chapter 27 and 28 that Jacob is not a man who, who works outdoors. He's like me. I don't want to be outside. I don't want to cut the grass. I don't want to weed eat. I don't want to wash the car. I don't like doing things outside. It's just who I am. I'm not my dad. It's just who I am. I feel mostly I'm like Jacob. Jacob liked to stay inside. Jacob liked to cook. I love to cook. I feel like I'm Jacob. The Bible tells us that Jacob finds Rachel and he starts faking like he's an outdoorsman, like he's a sheep herder, like he's strong, everything to win Rachel, and he actually does win Rachel. The Bible tells us in that same chapter that he meets Laban, Rachel's father, and Laban accepts him into the family and tells him, hey, listen, why don't you marry one of my daughters? The Bible then tells us in chapter 29 that he looks at Rachel and he looks at the other sister named Leah and he picks Rachel. That's who he wants. He says, listen, I will, I will marry Rachel. What do you want me to do so I can marry Rachel? The Bible says that Laban said, work for me seven years. Guys, I know you've been, I know you've been trying, but look at what this man does to win Rachel. Seven years. The Bible tells us that he says, I'll work it. And then it says that he worked it, and the seven years felt like only days to him because he was so in love with her. The Bible says that Laban tricked Jacob, and on the night of their wedding, he replaced Rachel with Leah. Jacob wakes up, and he's with Leah, and he goes to Laban, and he says, hey, I, I'm here to marry Rachel, not Leah. And he said, well, listen, we don't marry the younger daughter first. We marry the oldest daughter first, and the oldest is Leah. If you want Rachel, you can have her too. Listen, the Bible has some crazy things. I don't want, that's a whole other story we'll go into later. But he said, if you want Rachel, I'll let you have Rachel. But you got to work seven more years. So he does. He works it. And the Bible says that he has now two wives and that God blesses him. He multiplies him, gives him, gives him all that he could have in the land. He has sheep. He has goats. He has, I don't know, maybe some chickens. I don't really know. But I know he's happy. He's prosperous. And now God is telling him it's time for you to leave Laban because he's a trickster. Jacob was a trickster, but he was no match for Laban. Laban was even worse. So God told him, it's time for you to leave Laban's house and go back to the promised land. Because remember, he left the promised land. Why? Because he's running from his brother Esau. Because he stole Esau's blessing. So now we find him in chapter 32, him and his family, and they're on the way back to the promised land. And you got to see this. This is beautiful. It says, now... As Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. This is an interesting thing. Why is he saying, the writer of the book of Genesis, why is he telling us that the angels of God met Jacob? I'll tell you why. Because Jacob recognized the angels that he saw on the way. Why? Because in chapter 28, when he came to Bethel, he saw angels. God gave him a vision of angels, and now Jacob is on his way back 
to paradise. And scholars will say to you that these angels were there guarding the entrance of the promised land. So he is so close to the promised land, he knows it. He's traveling back. He's on his way back. But back in chapter 28, he told God, you will be my God if you protect me, if you prosper me, and if you bring me back safely to the promised land because I'm afraid of my brother. He's on his way back to the promised land, and he sees angels. If you ever needed a sign that God was with you, there it is. Chapter 32, verse 1. He sees angels, and listen, it says, the angels of God met him. He didn't just see them. They met him. This was a personal interaction he had. It said, Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim in Hebrew. Now, Mahanaim, what that word means is a double host or a double camp. What he's saying is now, instead of it just being me and my camp, it's me and God's camp. He is holding on to the fact that he believes that God is with him on his journey back. He is confident that God is by his side and is traveling with him and will bless him on the way back to the promised land. I wonder if ever you felt that way the confidence in your life that God is with you, the confidence that God is with you and is guiding you and is surrounding you, protecting you. That's what Jacob is dealing with here. He completely believes that God is with him, and yet he still has to face his brother. He still has to face Esau, but I need you to understand that what's happening here is not between two, like, 30-year-old men. Jacob is 97 years old. Nine, that, no wonder, spoiler alert, next chapter his hip kind of comes out of socket. This man is old. Look, I'm 40. I know what it's like to sleep wrong, wake up, my back hurts, my legs hurt. I'm afraid to put my feet on the floor because my feet hurt. I make sure not to put my feet, John, on just, on just bare, bare, uh, bare wood. No, I have to have sandals on because the arches of my feet are falling. I can only imagine... Being 97, here's a 97-year-old man, and he is traveling back with his family, but he has the threat of the fight with his brother Esau. So, verse 3, look at this. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau. It's been 21 years. 21 years since he last saw Esau. And in 21 years, the problem hasn't been fixed. How long have you been dealing with your problems? How long have you been wrestling with the family issue? How long have you been messing with the idea that everybody that you've been dealing with is not for you, and now it's time to go confront it? Here is Jacob, and it's been 21 years since he fixed the problem. I think, I think this encourages us in some way to fix problems quickly, to work towards unity. 21 years passed, and the Bible says in verse 3, the land of Syria, the country of Edom, he also commanded them saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau. Look at the language 
that Jacob is using. He is calling Esau his Lord. This is Jacob's plan. He says, thus says your servant. Jacob is afraid of his brother Esau. So he's approaching him in a humble way because he's scared, because he's been running, and because he's been hiding. The Bible says that he says in verse 3, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I want you to see verse 5 because verse 5 I think is key for you and me. Look at the way it starts. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And here's the repetition. Bible, Bible professor always told me, always look for the repetition in the scripture because it'll teach you something. The writer is making sure that you see this, so he's repeating it. What does it say? It says, I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Look at what Jacob is doing. Jacob is presenting all that he has. This is what I have. Go to Esau and tell him everything I've accomplished. Go to Esau and tell him everything that I have in my bank account. Go to Esau and tell him everything that I've, that I've been able to, to, to accumulate over these 21 years because I want to give him an expensive gift. I want to be able to buy my way back into favor with him. He says, I have, I have. This is Jacob using what he's been able to accomplish in order to negotiate peace. Spoiler alert, he's going to do this at the end of the scripture too. Jacob is known for being somebody who negotiates, who manipulates, who lies. And he is trying to finagle his way into peace with his brother. Why and how? With the things that he has. I think this, in so, just two words, it describes who we are when it comes to our Savior. Most of us, we, we want to come to Jesus with, with what we have, with the things that we've done, with the good works that we've accumulated. And you and I will see just how little that matters here in the Scripture. Here is Jacob, and he is trying to barter his way into a relationship with his brother. He says, I have good news. You don't have to barter your way into a relationship with Jesus. He is not waiting for you to be impressive. He is not waiting for you to accumulate enough good works for you to have a relationship with him. You don't have to do anything to get this kind of relationship. He is looking for peace with his brother Esau. The Bible tells us that you and me, because of Jesus, we are at peace with God. We have nothing to offer. There is nothing of significance that we could give. There is nothing that we could accomplish that would accomplish for us what Jesus did for us. And that's good news. You'd be clapping right now if you believed that because you would know that you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, we have sat there trying to be so pleasing to God because we're afraid that we don't have enough. 
We're not good enough. We're, we haven't accomplished enough. All the things that we've done, that's the same thing that Jacob is dealing with. He, he's trying to barter with this expensive gift, and, and he's hoping that this will buy his way in back into the family and back into the land. And you and I, that's where we're at most of our lives. We're trying our hardest to get back into fellowship with God, back into a place where we're in a relationship that we feel is, is a, a substantial one. And this is what it's teaching us, that it does not matter what we do the Bible says in the next verse how much the gift meant to Esau the messengers returned to Jacob saying we came to your brother Esau and furthermore um, he's coming to meet you and he's got 400 men with him he don't care about the donkeys he don't care about the oxen or the flocks or the male and female servants. This is not enough for him. He is so upset with you. Now that he knows where you're at, he's coming. And he's coming with 400 men. The messengers came back with bad news. There's nothing you can do. Your brother is so upset. He's been looking for you. He's so, he wants revenge because of what you stole from him. And he's on his way. There is no peace Coming, verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid. Notice it doesn't tell us in the first seven verses that Jacob was afraid. Jacob wasn't afraid because he saw in verse 1 that God was with him. He actually had so much confidence in the fact that God was with him and that he had enough to actually convince his brother. Now he's realizing it's not going to be enough. Now he is greatly afraid. I wonder... If you've ever been to a place in your life where you said, I thought God was with me. I wonder if you've ever been in a place in your marriage where you said, I thought God was in this marriage. I wonder if you've ever been in a place in your life where you said, I thought I had enough to make this work. I thought I had accomplished enough, saved up enough, done enough so that this would all work together. And now it's not working. And maybe you find yourself just like Jacob. Afraid. All of the things that were a source of comfort and confidence mean nothing. His money, everything that he has meant nothing for his brother. It says, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And look at what he does. If there's one thing we know about Jacob is that he's a planner. He's a manipulator. And he gets to work immediately. It says in verse 7, he then divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Now, you would think just by hearing that language that he is getting ready to fight. He is not getting ready to fight. He is actually choosing which part of his family he is willing to sacrifice first. You don't see it yet, but that's exactly what's happening. He is dividing his family into two camps. Rachel's family, Leah's family. Who am I putting first? Who am I putting behind me? Because maybe, maybe when Jacob comes, he will attack the first ones and we can leave. This is where Jacob finds himself. He finds himself in such a desperate situation. He has accepted the fact, ah, we ain't coming out of this alive. He divided the people who were with him, and he said, the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies, for he said, this is why, he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Didn't we already learn that Jacob's not a fighter? He's not. 
He's not thinking about how we can escape. He's thinking about who am I going to sacrifice? Jacob is showing who he really is right here. He gets to a point where he's willing to sacrifice those he loves. And I think it's, I think it's very telling as to where he finds himself. You know where he finds himself? Out of resources. He has gotten to the place where nothing that he has can fix the problem that he's facing. Nothing he has can fix the situation. Nothing he owns is worthy to be bargained for. There's no tricks. There is no negotiation. He has come to the end of his ability to fix things. He's accepted. That's it. The good news about this is this is showing us at the end of this story that those of us who find ourselves in places where we have come to the very end of our ability, the very end of our resources, those of us who come to the very end of our sanity, the very end of our ability to fix what is broken in our lives, those of us who find ourselves with no strategy left, no plan, that God himself will allow us to get to the very end of who we are if it means that we'll wind up trusting him. He will. God is showing us through Jacob and this situation that at the end of your ability, you still find a faithful God. That at the end of everything you accomplish, really your faith should never have been on the things that you can do, but only on what God can do. He says if Esau comes, maybe he'll attack them and we'll, we'll escape. That is what I like to call that little section, verse 6 through 8, the plan. It's my plan. Have you ever made a plan? You ever had something pop up and immediately your brain tells you what you have to do to fix it? If I just do this, if I just do that, I can do this, I can fork. He's come up with a plan. I want you to see what happens next, though. Verse 7 through 8, he comes up with a plan. Verse 9, he starts to pray. He starts with a plan. He ends up in a prayer. This is actually Jacob's first prayer. 21 years. This is his first prayer. Do you remember in chapter 28, he said, God, if you do this, I'll believe in you. This is the first time, because of his desperation, that he's putting his trust in God. Listen, I don't know how long you've been waiting to put your trust in God, but today's the day. I don't know how long you've been struggling. I don't know how long the fight has been, but it's time. No matter what it is that you feel you can do to fix it, no matter what it is that you feel that you can do to inject yourself into the situation, at the end of the day, what you need is not more resource. You need to trust the source, God. Amen. The scripture says, Jacob said, oh God, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. He never says, my God. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. Wait a minute. Here's 
here's something I want to encourage all parents with. Your faith for your children matters. This man is only here because of the faithfulness of Abraham, because of the faithfulness of Isaac. Your prayers matter for your children's future, for what God will do in the future for your children's lives. It will influence them. And even if they are struggling with faith, one day they'll say, the God of my father, I'm calling to you. The God of my mother. Paul said this to Timothy. Timothy, the faith in your grandmother Eunice, the faith in your mother has now resided in you. Your prayers, your faith matter to your children's walk. He says, God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, I like actually that word Lord there. That's Jehovah, I think it's Jehovah Rapha, which means strong one. He is calling on God's name and saying, I heard you were strong. That's what he's saying. I'm calling on the strong God. And he says, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to, to your country and to your relatives, and I, what, will prosper you. I like what he's doing here because what he's doing is he's reminding God of what God said he would do. That's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, God, didn't you say this? Didn't you say that you would prosper me? This prayer reminds me of a lot of my prayers lately. God, didn't you say that you'd be with me even though things are difficult? Doesn't your word say that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil? He is giving us a model of prayer that's actually pretty healthy. He is reminding God of what God said. Here's what I will encourage you to do whenever you face a moment in your life that feels too overwhelming, too difficult. Remind God what God said to you. Remind God what the scriptures say about what he will do. Remind God of the fact that he said he will never leave you or forsake you. Remind God that he is a miracle-working God. Remind God that he said that he would provide the way he provided for the people in the Bible miraculously. It says right here that he says, oh God, the God of my father who said, I will prosper you, verse 10. I am unworthy of all of your loving kindness and all of your faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. He's reminding us that when he left, he left with only a stick. And now look at all that God has done for him. Even though he's unworthy, this is the goodness of our God. This is the greatness of his mercy and his grace for us who don't deserve what he gives us us that word loving kindness actually is the if translated into the greek is the word elios which means mercy he's saying because you are merciful i am receiving this what he is saying there loving kindness in the hebrew is mercy in the greek what he's saying is the reason i have what i have is not because i'm good it's not because i've i've been able to accomplish these things i've realized that the reason i have this is because you're merciful Merciful meaning God isn't giving him what he deserves. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a thief. He lied to his father. He stole his brother's blessing. And yet right now what we see is that God himself has taught him about his mercy through his goodness. Listen, the good things you have in life, the things that you've received from God, even though you know you don't deserve it, it's a sign of his mercy. It's a sign of his loving kindness. It's not a sign that you did that with your own hustle, with your own work. It's a sign that you serve a very good God who's merciful to you. 
He says, because of all of your loving kindness and all of your faithfulness, which you have shown your servant, now, even though I crossed this Jordan with just a staff, now I have become two companies. Now, verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he would come attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, again, reminding him, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the land of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. This is the prayer. He went from the plan, now he's into the prayer. He said, you told me you would be there for me. So verse 13, it says he spent the night there. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm anxious, I can't sleep. Something in Jacob allowed him to sleep. He spent the night there, I believe, because after that prayer, he felt a sense of calm. Because he believed that this God that he just prayed to would follow through. You want to have better sleeping nights. You want to have nights where you can actually rest, pray more, trust him more, seek him more. Bible says, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him at present for his brother Esau. He, he, he continues with the plan. I'm going to get the 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their coats, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Verse 16, he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Into the hand, we're in verse 16, into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and he said to his servants pass on before me and put on a space between the droves he said let's create this thing where we're now we're going to put the gift in front and I'm going to be in the back he doesn't want to be in the front let's put all of the gifts in the front have you ever had to give someone bad news and and you made sure to sugarcoat it up front before you gave them the bad news we call it the sandwich method love you man You've been, you've been so good. Like, I'm so proud of you. Everything that's been going on, like, this is so, so good. Thankful. Um, listen, you've been struggling in these areas, though. And um, we're going to have to let you go. This is the sandwich for him. He's putting all the good things in front before Esau sees his face. This is what happens here, and I think it's incredible, and you need to see it. Verse 17, he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you, he wants, he wants nothing to do with Esau. When my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? You shall say, these belong to your servant, Jacob. This is, this is where I, I want you to get this. This word is not here just because. It is a what? A what? Now say it with me. Present. It is a gift. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he's behind us. Verse 19, then he commanded also the second and the third, and all those followed the drove, saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us. Don't miss it. Look at this verse, and we're, we're about to end. For he said, I will appease him. This is Jacob. 
he says, I'm going to give him all these gifts. And I'm going to appease him with the present that goes before me. The way this is going to work is why and how. Through the present. The present that goes before me. The way that I'm going to fix this is by making sure that he sees everything that I have to offer first. Because I know that when he sees me, all he's going to remember is the fact that I stole everything from him. That I stole his blessing. That I lied to our dad. That I put on his clothes and I pretended to be like him. And that I, I put on a mask and faked it so that I could get to where I'm at. I don't want him to see that yet. I want him to see the present first because when the present goes first maybe it will appease him then after that I will see his face look at this word and what perhaps perhaps he will accept me didn't Jacob pray he went from the plan to the prayer to perhaps. Mm -hmm. How quickly do you lose faith? That was a pretty powerful prayer he prayed. It sounded really good. If I prayed that in public, people would think I was super spiritual. And yet... He was hiding what was really happening inside. I'll tell you what was happening. He doubted. That word perhaps literally means I hope, but I doubt it. Perhaps he will what? Accept me. He doesn't know for sure if he's going to be accepted. That's ultimately it. He doesn't know for sure if he's going to be accepted. He has taken Esau's birthright. He knows that he stole his father's blessing. And he's also witnessed God's angels working and moving in the most obscure places. And at this point, he's actually spoken to God a few times. But what is wrong with Jacob right now? is that his past makes him doubt the validity of God's promise. The past that he had gone through is making him doubt whether or not God's promise is really going to stand. And at this point, he's saying, I, I, I took the blessing, I've seen what God has done, and, and now I feel like it's too good to be true. It's not going to work. Esau's mad. He's not accepting my gifts. So now I'm just hoping that the present will appease him and that maybe, perhaps, just maybe, he will accept me. He's like, I knew it was too good to be true. The consequences of the things I've done casted a shadow on my trusting for God to come through with his promise. He's thinking, is God's promise enough to cover my mistakes? It's God's promise really that strong and that faithful. And listen, we look at Jacob and we probably are thinking, why is he struggling? Why are you struggling? 
I know you feel the same way. Because I felt that way. When I look at the promise that I'm saved, that I'm sealed, that I have glory waiting for me, that I've been forgiven past, present, and future, that I have access to a Savior every day of my life, even on my worst day, He still loves me. In those moments, my failure, my weakness make me doubt it, make me doubt whether or not I can actually get what he's promised because deep down inside, you know what? We want to earn it. Deep down inside, we want to earn it. We want to earn what God has for us. God's promise. I want to tell you this. God's promise for you is only yours through the work of Jesus. He saves you, the Bible says, from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and when he comes back again, the presence of sin. Here's what I know about us. What you've accomplished isn't what gets you and me accepted into his kingdom. It's what Jesus accomplished. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what your weaknesses are or your failures. I don't know the areas of your life that creep in at night that make you have doubt to whether or not God can actually do for you what his word says he will do for you. I don't know what it is that creeps in in the middle of the night and causes depression and regret. I don't know what it is that you struggle with that casts doubt in your life. What I do know, though, is that what Jesus did on the cross... What I do know, though, is that by Jesus dying for your sin and raising again three days later, what Jesus did takes away your shame. What Jesus did covers all of your sins, your past, your present, and your future. What I do know is that what you've done cannot separate you from the love of God. Jesus purchased that relationship for you. It's only Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And you and me, I know we get to this place in life where we feel like we have to barter, where we feel like we got to present to God all of the good things that we've accomplished and done. And I want to break it to you. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what Jesus has done. He knows Esau may not accept this. He is doing everything he can to get Esau's acceptance. I think he's wondering, is it enough? Is it enough? Am I enough? Maybe you've thought that too. Maybe deep down you're worried about the day Jesus comes. Yesterday at my dinner table, my kids were talking about, oh, I don't know if I want Jesus to come yet. I don't really know if I'm ready yet. Listen, I want my kids to be excited about the coming of our Lord because we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be afraid. We can have confidence in what Jesus has done for us. He is thinking, is it enough? I want you to know something right now. It is impossible for us to do enough. It is impossible for us to say enough, sacrifice enough, pray enough, confess our sins enough, improve enough, be clean enough to get God's acceptance. It is impossible for you and me to be enough. Here's the good news. Christianity is the declaration that the one who is good, Jesus, achieved the impossible for us being enough for us. 
Christianity is not about how good you can clean yourself up, but how good Christ was for you. The message, the message is about Jesus meeting our failures with his forgiveness, our weakness with his strength, our messiness with his mercy, our guilt with his grace, and our exhaustion. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of trying? Aren't you tired of trying to perform enough, do enough, do whatever you can so that God would love you enough? He has done it all for you, and he replaces our exhaustion with his rest. And he sets us free from having to prove ourselves worthy and lovable and good. And he sets us free from the need to clean ourselves up enough to come to God, and it's all, all because of Jesus. I know that you and me are like Jacob. And at the end of the day, we hope he'll accept us. He does. He accepts us because of Jesus. And if you're tired of trying, if you're tired of trying to fix whatever it is in your life so that God would accept you, I think tonight's the night. I think tonight's the night that we we get to a place where we're confident that what Jesus did was enough. It was enough to cover your sins. It was enough for your children. It's enough for your future. And I just want to thank God for that tonight. That that's the good news for you and me tonight. That no matter where you find yourself today, that no matter how much you've lost, no matter how much you struggle with, Jesus has done enough for us. And you and me, we are accepted by him. No matter what it is in our past that we're ashamed of, he wipes us clean, and that's the good news. Come on, put your hands together. Put your hands together. Come on. Come on, if you're thankful for Jesus, stand up and let's pray. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, We're just like Jacob. We think that the things that we do will somehow win us favor in your house. But today we, we put the plan down and we trust you in your promise. Your word says you forgive us. Your word says that Jesus' death covers us and that because of Jesus, we are fully sanctified on the road to glorification. We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for all that you've done. Today, God, we put down our attempts to win you over, and we trust Jesus alone. Right where you're at, just, just tell God thank you for Jesus. Right where you're at, just tell him how grateful you are because Jesus did enough. Because Jesus is enough. Lord, today we're so grateful for your, your son and what he did. We thank you for him. We give him honor. We love you. We rest in this truth. And we pray this in the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus.